Chapter 6 Dr. Fenchurch stared intently from across her desk. Usually familiar, today her scrutiny was unnerving. It was as though she knew. She knew about the courtyard. She knew about the guitar. She knew everything. Dirk wasn't entirely sure why he'd thought otherwise. He assumed now the cameras he'd missed were simply well hidden, that she'd wanted him off his guard. For all he knew, she'd orchestrated the entire thing. Todd, a weakness she fully intended to exploit. Dirk shifted awkwardly in his chair. There was a stack of files sitting on her desk, files intentionally brought out. Dr. Fenchurch never left anything to chance. The one on the top of the pile clearly showed his name, Icarus. Chelly's Vlad, printed in bold black lettering. How are you, Icarus? she asked. Dirk once again on his guard. Fine, he said, more question than answer. And how are things with Todd? she continued. Dirk not at all surprised. Still, he felt himself stiffen, his back going ramrod straight, his hands balling into tight fists. He's fine? Dirk tried, not entirely sure of her angle. Are you enjoying your time with him? Dr. Fenchurch asked. If Dirk had hackles, they would have been standing on end. Have I done something wrong? he asked, his default assumption these days. Dr. Fenchurch's gaze was sympathetic, but whatever she had to say on the subject was lost to the sudden blaring of alarms. They were so unexpected, Dirk was halfway out of his chair before he realized there wasn't a bed to crawl under. Instinctively, he looked to Dr. Fenchurch for instructions. In doing so, he caught a brief flare of panic in her eyes. It vanished immediately, Dr. Fenchurch mastering herself in an instant. She waved Dirk back into his seat. Dirk sat, somewhat reluctantly. He was still half-tempted to circle around her desk and crawl beneath it, but Dr. Fenchurch shot him a look, so Dirk stayed where he was while she started for the door. Remain here, Icarus, she said when she reached it. She didn't wait for a reply, disappearing into the hall. The door pulled shut behind her. For a long while, Dirk stared at the empty space she'd left behind, waiting for her to return. He chastised himself as soon as he realized he was doing it. He was no longer a child, and there was nothing to indicate he was in any danger. Strangely enough, he felt perfectly safe. Whatever was happening clearly didn't involve him. He let his gaze drift back into the room, taking in the sterile decor, the orderly bookcases, Dr. Fenchurch's empty chair, before finally seeking out the files stacked neatly in the center of her desk. The one on top still boldly proclaimed his name, so Dirk reached for it and froze. A month ago, it wouldn't have occurred to him to snoop. A week ago, he wouldn't have dared. Dr. Fenchurch would be furious if she knew he'd gone through her things. And yet, the file was his. It had his name on it. Surely he was entitled to know what it said. A quick glance to the door showed it still firmly shut, the muffled droning of alarms echoing from beyond. Reassured, Dirk reached for the file, his fingers tracing the length of his name. Doing so caused the file to shift slightly, enough to reveal the file beneath it. Dirk, not at all prepared for finding someone else's name. Griffin. Mills. Diamond. He'd assumed upon first arriving that the files were all his— a lifetime in Blackwing custody, surely enough to warrant a stack of files. To learn otherwise was staggering. Without thinking, Dirk dragged the pile towards him and began flipping idly through the names. Icarus. 
Shelley Swad, Griffin, Mills Diamond, Incubus, Martin Michael, Cross Mateo, Vogel Eric, Grips Benton, Marzana, Curlish Bartin, Moloch, Wilder Mona, Bratzman Todd, Sharon Chow Ben, Dirk froze, the file shaking in his hands. He could almost convince himself he'd hallucinated it, but when he flipped back, there it was, Todd's name amongst the others. Dirk stared. A dozen questions sprang to mind. The foremost being, why Todd had a file at all? And why had Dr. Fenchurch left it sitting on her desk? Had she meant for him to see it? For a brief moment, the universe aligned, Dirk utterly certain there was a connection. His first impulse was to pull the file from the pile and leaf through it, the answers, he suspected, contained within. He didn't get the chance, sudden silence echoing from beyond the door. Dirk's attention snapped towards it. He had just enough time to return the files to their original position before the door swung open, Dr. Fenchurch entering the room. My apologies, Flat, she said, the first time he could remember her using anything other than his designation. Dirk sat up a little straighter, his hands folded neatly in his lap. Now where were we? She continued, her gaze falling to the files on her desk. Dirk forced himself to breathe. Ah, uh, yes. Todd, how have your sessions with him been going? She sank into her chair as she spoke, her expression oddly placid. I, sorry, why do you want to talk about Todd? Dirk asked. He knew he was taking a risk, but this couldn't be a coincidence. Are you uncomfortable talking about him? Dr. Fenchurch asked. Her gaze had narrowed, but it wasn't suspicion. Dirk felt the distinct impression she expected to gain something from his answer. No, I just... Your sessions with Todd were conditional on you agreeing to certain parameters, were they not? Dr. Fenchurch interrupted. Dirk nodded. Then I would ask again, how are those sessions going? There was no point asking if this was a condition. The answer, fairly obvious. Good, Dirk said. They're going very good. Todd is... he's very nice. That's good, Dr. Fenchurch said. Would you say the two of you are becoming friends? Dirk's heart, which had at some point taken up residence in his throat, now throbbed incessantly. Yes, I think so. It's hard to say. I've never actually had a friend before, so I'm not really sure, but... Yes, I'd say yes. He had no idea if that was the answer she was looking for and Dr. Fenchurch gave him no indication either way. She merely continued to stare, her gaze thoughtful as she considered his response. Has he talked to you about his personal life at all? She eventually asked. Dirk considered. It was an innocuous enough question, but there was something in the way she asked it that set Dirk's teeth on edge. He briefly considered not answering, but like her initial question, Dirk suspected this too, one of Blackwing's conditions. He told me about his band, Dirk said. Oh, and he has a sister. Anything else? Dr. Fenchurch asked. She sounded disappointed. Sorry, he doesn't really share a lot. I mean, we're still just getting to know each other, so... That's fine, Dr. Fenchurch said. She offered him a thin smile before adding, I'm glad you're getting along, almost as an afterthought. Her smile lingered, a beat passing between them. Fenchurch still staring. Dirk tried very hard not to squirm in his seat. Something was off, but he couldn't quite pinpoint what. 
Whatever it was, it felt distressingly like a hunch. A hunch, Dirk suspected, with Todd at the center of it. He would have given anything for a chance to see what was in the file. But the universe had other plans. A technician appeared inside the door. Dr. Fenchurch's gaze swiveled towards him. You can take him back to his room now, she said. The technician nodded. Dirk stood without needing to be asked. Faint approval colored Dr. Fenchurch's gaze. The thought wouldn't seem to leave him. Safely ensconced under his bed, Dirk stared at the underside of the mattress and tried to understand why a file with Todd's name on it felt less like revelation and more like impending doom. How long had they known each other? A month? He thought back to that first day, to the shock of seeing another person in the common room. A study, Todd had said, though he hadn't recognized Blackwing's name, and when Dirk had asked, he'd mentioned something about nerves. What possible use could Blackwing have for someone with a nerve disorder? He'd assumed, of course, that Todd's presence was meant for him, a manipulative tool, or perhaps incentive. Dirk was never sure. Both, maybe. Though either way, the outcome was the same. But what if he was wrong? Why else would Dr. Fenchurch have a file in Todd's name? It begged a more insidious question. Why had she left it sitting on her desk, out in the open for Dirk to see? He hadn't had the chance to examine the file's contents. Perhaps it was empty. The file itself, yet another experiment, another test. Squeezing his eyes shut, Dirk began to wonder if this was all some elaborate hoax, designed to drive him mad. The question plagued him long past when he should have slipped out from under the bed to crawl beneath his covers. He ended up falling asleep where he was, his apprehension manifesting as dreams. In them, his room was bathed in red, his door standing wide open. Unlike the waking world, here there was no hesitation. Dirk slipped from under the covers without a second thought. He floated, rather than padded, into the hall, where the light was crimson, so dark each breath dragged color into his lungs. The alarms were silent, the halls strangely empty, devoid of even a technician. There was only the endless red, a gentle pulsing that followed Dirk all the way to the common room, where he found Todd waiting for him, a battered electric guitar in his lap. I needed electricity, Todd explained. He held a frayed cord in his hands. Red light pulsed around him. I don't think you should, was as far as Dirk got before Todd bent over to plug in the amp. Bright sparks lit the air. Todd stiffened, his jaw clenched against the current. Dirk watched, helpless to do anything. Overhead, the lights flickered and then fell dark. Todd dropped the cord. It's fine, Todd said, as though nothing had happened. It happens all the time. The scent of burning flesh hung in the air. Dirk woke with a gasp. For a long while, he lay beneath his bed, his breath coming in great, heaving gasps. Dampness trickled from the corner of his eyes. Dirk couldn't bring himself to wipe it away. He couldn't remember the last time Blackwing had inspired a nightmare. Not since he was a child. It left him more shaken than he'd willingly admit. Dirk too terrified to move. Too tired to do anything, save stare at the underside of the mattress and wonder what it all meant. It was far too early for this, Fenchurch decided. She'd already had a coffee, but she needed another. Seated across from her, Colonel Riggins looked far too awake. That was the soldier in him. 
He'd been with Blackwing so long now. It had undoubtedly been decades since he last saw the field. And yet a soldier he remained, every inch of him pure army. It showed in the way he sat, back ramrod straight in his chair. It showed in the clean lines of his uniform, in the precise order of his office. Unlike hers, which she very consciously kept devoid of personal mementos, Briggins's office was a historical archive. His walls were littered with personal achievements, framed newspaper clippings marking the passage of his career. They ended twelve years ago, about the time of Blackwing's inception. Commendations filled the remainder of the wall. Even his bookshelf told the story, technical manuals intermixed with literary classics. Fenchurch counted no fewer than six copies of Melville's Moby Dick. Beside the bookcase, an American flag stood proudly on display. We could try inducing stress, see if it triggers an attack, Fenchurch said, well aware she was wading into the unknown. She remembered Esther, though she'd only met the woman briefly, nowhere near long enough for her or her condition to have left an impression. That wasn't the case for Riggins. Esther was one of Riggins's first, possibly even the reason for Blackwing's inception. Losing her had clearly had an impact. Riggins's obsession with her nerve disorder bordering on manic. I'm not sure that's a good idea, Riggins said, his expression clearly troubled. Fenchurch shook her head. Then what would you suggest? Because we've brought the boy in, and so far he's shown no signs of having extrasensory perception. It was a question she fully intended Riggins to answer. But she held up her hand when it looked as though he might, needing then to say her piece. I know he shares genetic markers, they all do, but we haven't proven those markers have anything to do with their abilities. We are currently monitoring 42 subjects, and aside from Incubus, not one of those subjects shares anything in common with the other 41. You've found another person who claims to have pararabulitis, but aside from a mutated genome, what proof do we have? It felt good to finally voice her doubts, to talk about something other than Icarus. She'd agreed to bringing in Bratzman on the condition they could dismiss him if his testing proved inconclusive. They were now weeks in and still had nothing to show for it. Have we considered this isn't the right environment? Riggins asked, an old argument. Dr. Fenchurch rolled her eyes. So your plan is to turn them loose in the world, monitor them from afar? Tell me again how we're supposed to do that. A coffee with aspirin. That was what she needed. Fenchurch brought a hand up to rub at her temple. Not all of them, Riggins said. Fenchurch couldn't help it. She barked a laugh. No, just Icarus and Bratzman, the ones you've deemed safe. The lines of their mandate were growing increasingly unclear. Fenchurch no longer knew what they were trying to accomplish. I'm not opposed to your plan, Riggins said. His gaze had drifted, locked now on the case that held his many medals. Amongst them was a Vietnam service medal. How old was he? Fenchurch wondered. She would have thought he was closer to her own age, but maybe not. Good, Fenchurch said. Certain hers was the only one that would work. He'll need to come in voluntarily, Riggins continued, though they'd already discussed this. Still, Fenchurch nodded. A few weeks, Fenchurch said, giving her timeline. Icarus is already attached and from what I've seen of their interaction, Bratzman is quite taken. He has nothing outside of here. He's estranged from his family. He has no friends. He's dropped out of school, lost his apartment. I believe Icarus could convince him. 
A brief flicker of discomfort passed over Riggin's features, but he didn't argue. You've set the groundwork, then? he asked. Fenchurch nodded. He didn't read the file, but he's seen it. As I said, a few weeks. I would suggest we prepare the room next to his for additional incentive. Riggins didn't answer, but he didn't object either, and while she knew he disapproved, the choice wasn't exactly his. Any objections he had, he could raise with General Kinsey. Until she heard otherwise, she would assume their mandate stood. Was there anything else? she asked, too abrupt by far, but the morning was waning and she still desperately needed that coffee. No, Riggins said, and for a moment, Fenchurch thought he might actually dismiss her. He remembered himself a second later, though the curt nod he offered was much the same. Fenchurch tried not to bristle. Instead, she rose steadily from her chair and strode from the room. Twelve years, she thought. Twelve years, and what did they have to show for it? Another subject, as unpromising as the rest. Shaking her head, Fenchurch headed for the elevators, the cafeteria six floors above her head.